Christ. It's all about Christ. And even though we are some 2,000 years away from the cross, the cross still has as much power then as it has today. The fountain is still being poured. It doesn't run out of virtue. Christ is still calling his people and is still serving his people he said, my sheep hear my voice, and they will follow me. A voice of a stranger. The hirelings, the strangers, you know them. And we can tell the strangers by what they say. Test the spirits. We can't see the spirits, but we can hear what they say. What are they saying about Christ and what he has accomplished? Let's go before him in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before your throne this morning to participate in the worship that you have ordained for yourself. For you alone are able to worship yourself. We are only participating in this worship through the merits of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, whom you sent that he may shed his blood to redeem us from our sins. And redeeming us, he did, and he finished the work. So we are here as God's people who were purchased and redeemed completely and perfectly by the work of his son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray now for your people that they may hear not from me, but from you, that they may hear what Christ has done for them, that they may worship him that they may know him and love him. 
and proclaim him. That those who are elect may also hear the voice of the master and come to him. Lord, we pray and thank you for the word that you have said before us. And as you have taught us, your word does not come back to you void. So we pray, Lord, that your word will accomplish the work for which you have sent it to accomplish. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. John 5, 45-47 We can preach the rest of the sermons just from John 5, 45-47. We can go to Genesis and go to Revelation. We can go anywhere in the Bible. Because the Bible is all about Christ. We are going to park here today and the week after next. Because next week, other two men will be here, so I won't be preaching. But I'm going to park here for today and the week after for the reason that this is important for us to understand about the gospel we have to understand what the gospel is because God works through our understanding. He works through knowledge because faith by itself is not just ignorant faith. It's faith that is based and built on knowledge. And God has given us the knowledge and we get the knowledge from the scriptures with the help of the Holy Spirit who illuminates the scriptures to us so that we may have proper understanding of what the Lord is teaching us. So this is what Jesus is saying to the Jews in John 5, 45-47. Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses in whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? If you believed Moses, part two. The Lord Jesus has said to the Jews, He is not the one who will accuse them before God the Father, but Moses in whom they had set their hope. And why was that? Because according to Jesus, if they had believed in what Moses had said or proclaimed to them in his writings, they would also believe in Jesus. For whatever Moses wrote, testified and pointed to Christ. But then the Lord Jesus makes a judgment also saying, I do acknowledge that you Jews are very diligent in studying the scriptures. You are very diligent in studying the scriptures. And you have an appearance that you understand them. You have an appearance that you hold to them. You have an appearance that you acknowledge their authority. But obviously you don't. So now you have a bigger problem. 
You do not believe the writings of Moses which you claim to believe. And because you don't believe Moses, you also don't believe in the one whom he was pointing you to. And this would be what Jesus was saying to the Pharisees and the scribes, saying to them, How shall you escape the torments of hell? The Pharisees and the scribes were not believing who Jesus was claiming to be. Jesus was claiming to them that he was the way out of hell. He was the way of salvation. And if they did not believe him, what other way, what other route did they have to get out of hell? There was no other way of escape other than Jesus himself. So how is it that the Jews who knew the writings of Moses failed to see what God was teaching through them? Because they were blinded to the truth. They were blinded to the truth and thought that salvation could be had by their own keeping of the law. And to this point, Apostle Paul says in Romans 10, verse 1 to 5. Romans 10, verse 1 to 5. Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them, that is the Jews, is for their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law, for righteousness to everyone who believes for Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness which is based on law shall live by that righteousness. So Apostle Paul cries out for his kinsmen. His kinsmen according to the flesh that God may save them. Apostle Paul knows what it means not to be saved. And that's what is causing this burden on his heart. He understands what it means not to be saved. So his heart is heavy for them and says in Romans 9.3, For I could wish that I myself were accursed, that I myself were burned for God's glory, that I myself were removed from Christ, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. But like Jesus who before testified that the Jews were diligent in studying the scriptures but missed the point, Apostle Paul comes and says the same thing about the Jews. And says, I too testify about them that they have a zeal for God. The Jews were not zealous for a false God. The Jews were zealous for the true God of Israel. And yet they stumbled. How can you stumble when you are zealous for the true God? The Apostle Paul says, 
their zeal for God and their sincerity was not according to knowledge. Knowledge of what? Knowledge of how God saves. They were ignorant of the righteousness of God. And yet we proclaim that we are not saved by our knowledge, but by Christ. We are saved by Christ. We are saved by the knowledge of Christ. His knowledge, not our knowledge. And yet the knowledge of Christ is important in salvation. Because you can't say, I believe in Jesus and Muhammad and expect to be saved. That is not correct knowledge. That's not what Apostle Paul is saying. Knowledge of the truth is important. Because Jesus Christ is the truth. So it sounds to me like Apostle Paul is saying, it matters what you know about Christ and what you believe about him. Having a proper knowledge of how God saves sinners is important. Zeal and sincerity without knowledge leads to destruction. And there are many people in our own day who seem to have a zeal for God. But when they hear about the true Jesus, they say, these are hard things. Who can hear this? What about me? What is my contribution? As long as you are telling me a gospel that I don't contribute something, I don't want to hear it. They just want to do stuff. They want to do stuff. And they think by this, God will save them because they are being sincere. Others yet will continue to hold to their free will nonsense. That they are helping Jesus to get themselves saved. That they, by their own power, are the ones who are making recognition of the person of Jesus. The Lord Jesus says no. It does not work like that. And Apostle Paul says no. It does not work like that. Pray for these people that God may save them. Pray for them. So what are the problem with the Jews again? I want us to go back to Romans 10 verse 3. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. The Jews were ignorant of God's righteousness. And because they were ignorant of God's righteousness, they sought to establish their own righteousness by which they could hopefully be accepted by God. How did they do that? By working. They worked their own righteousness. They were setting all their ducks in a row, trying to be good husbands and wives and raising very honorable families. 
and meeting all the demands of religion as best as they could. Even like Brother Nicodemus. Brother Nicodemus was a Pharisee, well-spoken Pharisee, a very good man, a very polite man. He came to Jesus, and he had some very polite words to say. But Jesus says to him, I don't care, Nicodemus. Let me tell you the truth. Unless you are born from above, you no way see the kingdom of heaven. And Apostle Paul here, echoing the same theology of Jesus, says that trying to work your own righteousness is being ignorant of God's righteousness. And being ignorant of God's righteousness is going to cause you not to subject yourself to the righteousness that God has given. Which righteousness is the only one that God accepts. So they came with their own bucket, lords of righteousness. <laughs> they had a U-Haul truck and a trailer just trying to drive right into heaven with their righteousness. And God says, no, 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 no. You have to take back that your truck. So what is this righteousness of God? What is this righteousness of God? It is the righteousness that is not derived from the obedience of man. It is the righteousness that is not derived from the obedience of man. It is a righteousness that cannot be earned by a sinner even the best of them. It is a righteousness that even sinless Adam would not be able to attain because that would have been the righteousness of man. It is a righteousness that is only given by grace through faith. It is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It is the righteousness of God himself. And you need this righteousness of God, this righteousness of Jesus to be saved. Listen to Apostle Paul who understood what this righteousness was all about. Philippians 3. Philippians 3, 7-9. Philippians 3, 7-9. And this is the confession of one who is a Christian. This has to be the universal confession of anybody who professes Christ. This is what he said. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own 
derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. The apostle says, whatever righteousnesses I had accumulated for myself, in my zeal for God, as a Pharisee, I counted down for the sake of what? For the sake of Christ. For the sake of Christ. What is he saying? He is saying, forsaking all of your righteousnesses for Christ is far superior than accumulating the best of your works. He says again in verse 8 of Philippians 3, More than that, I count all things to be lost. Lost compared to what? In view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. In view of the superiority of doing things for Christ? No. Not in view of doing things for Christ. But in view of knowing Christ. Of knowing the superiority and the value is in knowing Christ and not in doing things for Christ. The exceeding value or excellency of the gospel is not in what we can give to God, but what we receive from God in Christ Jesus. So what do we have to know about Christ? We have to know the person of Christ to know the work of Christ. That is the knowledge that saves. And that message unfortunately, does not satisfy sinners. Because they think salvation is such a simple matter that they too ought to be regarded for their surpassing contribution in helping Jesus. And all this happens because they're ignorant of God's righteousness. They're ignorant of God's righteousness. So everything that you and I could ever do, according to Apostle Paul, is dung, is rubbish. Only good for burning. It's only good for burning when it comes to salvation. And until we think that what we are doing is rubbish, then we will never cling to Christ. And will not glory in the knowledge of Christ. God wants you to know Jesus. What is God's will for your life? That new truck, Brother Robert. He so wants to get you that truck. And that new jet. <laughs> God's will for your life is to know Jesus. God's will for your eternity is to be with Jesus and to know Jesus. For that is eternal life. People do not want to know Christ because it is boring 
to always hear about Jesus. So they want to do, they want the YMCA religion. What programs do you have for us and our children? They want to do. But to know Jesus is to be saved. To know Christ is salvation. To know Jesus is the end goal of salvation. John 17.3 This is what Jesus said in his high priestly prayer. This is eternal life that they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The apostle Paul says again in Philippians 3.9 that he may be found in him. This is a longing to be found in Jesus, to be found in the ark. Not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Apostle Paul does not want any of his righteousness. Because remember, he has also gave a testimony of his own righteousness before the law. And he said, I was blameless before the law. But I don't want that. I don't want that. He said, I am a Benjamite. A lot of people don't understand what that means. Apostle was a descendant of Benjamin. And why Benjamin? Benjamin was one of Jacob's favorite sons. And he says, that's a liability. I don't want that. That's going to condemn me. I need to be found in him. Put me in Christ. Apostle Paul knows that your own righteousness is a big liability. He feels it and he knows it. He was a Pharisee of whom Jesus acknowledged their righteousness and said in Matthew 5.20, For I say to you, that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. The Lord here was saying, when it comes to righteousness in the flesh, no one could beat the Pharisees. Forget it. But even they were not good enough to meet the standard. So this righteousness then is something serious and we have to know how to get it. We also have to find a way to have this righteousness. What then is the solution from Apostle Paul? He says he does not want a righteousness that is derived from the law. And when we are talking about the law, we are talking about Righteousness that comes from you. And whatever you do. That you think is good. That you think God is looking and say, Oh wow, I didn't see Jean was going to do that. I think I need to bring her here too. 
because she's so good. The righteousness that is based on his own good works as measured by the law. So that's the righteousness of the law. That's the righteousness that's derived from the law. The righteousness that is based on his own effort, his labor, his doing, his obedience. He says as long it has me in it, it is a huge liability and it is rubbish. And as long as it has you in it, it is insufficient and not good and will condemn. So then what do you have, Paul? What do you have for yourself? He says, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, the righteousness that saves is the one that comes through faith in Christ. It comes through, which means it is from someone and from somewhere. If you are passing through, it means you are coming from somewhere. It's coming from someone and from somewhere. It is the righteousness which comes from God that is on the basis of faith alone in Christ alone. What about the law then? Because people love law. What about the law then? Because I have my tables of stone with the Ten Commandments. What about the law then? What are we to do with this law of Moses? If the law cannot bring righteousness that God accepts, why and what was the purpose of the law? Because the Jews are also thinking, the law is for righteousness. Moses is for righteousness. And Jesus comes and says, no, Moses is not for righteousness. <laughs> Moses is for condemnation. But the law had a purpose. It had a function. But I have to say something about Christians, professing Christians. And there are a lot of them. And preachers would think they are honoring God by teaching and imposing the law on the people that Christ has redeemed. Imposing the law of Moses on the church. And they think they are honoring God by doing that. This is what Apostle Paul says by the Holy Spirit in 1 Timothy 1.7. They want to be teachers of the law but they do not understand what they are saying or the things they insist on so confidently. Yes, they are confident when they are talking about the law. They open the scriptures to give the impression that they know what they are talking about. The apostle says, no, they don't. The law was given for a purpose and it was not for your justification. It was not for your sanctification as the Jews were making it to be. Our salvation or redemption has history. It has history. And if you don't understand that, you will not understand 
how the puzzle pieces of salvation are connected. The law played a function in the history of redemption, but it was never given to save anybody. The law was never given to save anybody, and the law never saved anyone. Galatians 3, 19 to 26. We are going to be part in Galatians 3 for the rest of the teaching. Why the law then? It was added because of transgressions. Having been ordained through angels by the agents of a mediator until the seed would come to whom the promise had been made. Verse 20. Now a mediator is not for one part party only, whereas God is only one, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. For if a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on law. But the scriptures have shut up everyone under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Verse 24. Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith is come, we are no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. The apostle has said. Verse 19. The law was given because of transgressions. What does that mean? Does it mean that the law was given to stop people from sinning? The law did not make Israel more righteous than the nations around them. They broke the law and God scattered them as he had promised. Hear this from the same apostle in Romans 5.20. The law came the law came in so that the transgression would increase. Oh, I thought the law was given to cut transgression. No. The law came in so that transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Did the apostle just say, God added the law for man to be more sinful? That's a big yes. And a lot of people don't know a God like that. But why? So that the grace of God would increase the more towards us in Christ. So sin is necessary that the grace of God in Jesus Christ may be clearly seen when he saves some really bad and sinful people. But why would a good God do such a thing? 
Because this is about his glory and not about the salvation of sinners. The salvation of sinners is an instrument to the work of God displaying his glory in Christ. Romans 5.13 For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there's no law. For until the law was given to Moses, sin was already in the world. And how do we know that sin was already in the world? Because sin came through the fall of Adam. And because of the fall of Adam, men were dying even before Moses was on Mount Sinai getting the law. So then, men were already sinners before the law was given. But they could not be reckoned as such until a law was given to account for their sin. The law is a chartered accountant of sin. It accounts for your sin. The law was given so that you may know that you are a sinner. Not because you did something wrong, but because of who you are. You do not become a sinner because of what you do. You do what you do because you're a sinner. And the law has to be given for you to be awakened to know that this is who I am. I'm a sinner. So the law was given for the accounting of sin, for the imputation of sin. Because you cannot charge anyone with sin where there's no law against what they did. And so the law was given to properly define for you what problem you had. And once the problem had been clearly identified and defined, then the solution could be understood. You cannot understand what God was teaching about Jesus and the gospel unless you understand the problem of sin and your inability to be good and to be accepted by God. For one who does not understand the function and purpose of law in the history of salvation cannot come to Christ. And if they're a preacher, they can't preach the true gospel. They will think Preaching the gospel is bringing people back to the law when it is supposed to be freeing people from the law. Preaching the gospel is supposed to free all men of those who are chosen from the law. Because the law still holds if you are not in Christ. The law is still making the same demands on you if you are not in Christ. But if you are in Christ, the law has lost its re relevance. So the one who is a Christian, who is a professing Christian, who doesn't understand this distinction and discontinuity of the law, 
will very easily find themselves in enslavement. They're always trying to be good, but they're always failing. Always trying to be good. Always failing. Always self-condemning. Trying to be good. Because you can't be good. Christ is the one who has been good in your place. Here is an illustration. I'm going to be using this illustration as long as I preach the gospel. It's an illustration of sin and law. How sin and law work together. All men with eyes blink. And they blink without effort. And also, they can't stop blinking. They may stop blinking for a few seconds and maybe minutes. But sooner or later, they'll be blinking again. And there's no law against blinking. Have you ever heard of a law against blinking? There's no law against blinking. So, no one can be charged for breaking the law of blinking. But imagine this. God has just created a new law against blinking. And if you break it, you'll be condemned. Well, this is the point. If God attaches life and salvation to you not blinking, do you realize your problem? If God would attach life, righteousness, and salvation to you not blinking, ever, do you see a problem? The moment that this law is passed, immediately you realize that you can't stop breaking it. So the law of blinking would have been passed to make you realize that you are unable to stop blinking and to drive you to the point of despair in realizing that there's nothing you can do to stop it. So this is the same way that God gave the law. The law that was added was added to account to you this sin of blinking. Just in case someone hears this and thinks maybe we had a, a, a preacher saying blinking is sin. No, that's not what we're saying. <laughs> you're getting condemned because you've been blinking. No, that's not what I... <laughs> That's not what we are saying. This is just an illustration. Now, according to this law, the equivalent of blinking is our sin. We can't stop sinning. But we have to be made aware of the problem. And the problem is that we have this sin and there's nothing that we can do to stop sinning. And that's the point of the law. And to drive you to despair. Because now you realize, oh my goodness, I am a sinner. What am I going to do? Nothing. You're stuck. And unfortunately, if this blinking has been attached to eternal life, guess what? You have no way of ever attaining eternal life. 
you are stuck. So we have always been sinning since Adam fell. But there's not been a particular law to teach you what is going on. So the law was given to make you understand that you are a sinner. And as I said, you break the law because you're a sinner. The law only diagnoses an already existing problem. Jesus obeyed the law perfectly because he was righteous before and after the law. He was sinless. He did not become righteous by observing the law. It was us who were made righteous by his obedience to the law. So the law was given to give you and I a high-resolution image of our sinful heart. A high-definition picture of how wicked and unable to be righteous we are. And I'm a chemist. And you do not want to see your skin under a high-resolution microscope. It looks very ugly. I mean, like scary. And you do not want to see your heart under the high resolution of God's law. It is very diseased and ugly. Those who play fast and loose with the law are looking at themselves with magnifying glasses. And reading glasses that they bought in Maya. And that's why they speak foolishness about observing the law. You need a real high definition telescope of God to see that you are not able to do the law. But there's more. If you remember the book of Galatians, it is a book about justification and how the Galatian church had problems with the Judaizers who were coming and saying, for you new Christians, you newly minted Christians, we have a better way to get you more accepted by God. Just add that circumcision. And God will be so happy and who accept you even better. And the Apostle Paul says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It takes one to be bewitched to preach the law to Christians who are saved. That's what Apostle Paul is saying. You need to be bewitched to bring back the law onto God's people. But there's more. Let's go back to Galatians 3 and we're going to work our way all the way through. And that's how we're going to close off this teaching. Because Apostle Paul is going to give us more understanding of why the law was given. And we'll begin at Galatians 3, 2. So these are the arguments that Apostle Paul gives. He says, you Galatian saints, how did you receive the Holy Spirit? This was a Gentile church. And the Apostle says, when you were converted and received the Holy Spirit, did you receive the Holy Spirit by the works of the law or by the obedience of faith? And the obvious answer is no. And gives another reason. Galatians 3.3 3. 
How will you be sanctified? If you Galatian Christians were saved by faith, how do you expect to reach spiritual maturity by the works of the law? But this is what the Judaizers were promoting. And many were now thinking that somehow they could be helped in their obedience to God by bringing the law back. The law for our daily living. Apostle Paul says no. The Apostle Paul says the same faith that justified you is the same faith that sanctifies. The Holy Spirit did not use the law for your justification or for your sanctification. Galatians 3, 4. Did you suffer in vain? Apparently, there had been persecution of the apostles and the new believers in this region. And he says, if you really walk back on the gospel, then you suffered in vain. They had experienced loss of property. Some of them had been beaten. And the apostle says, you can't do that. If you go back to the law, your suffering was in vain. And he says in Galatians 3.5, You guys experienced miracles. On what basis did God perform the miracles? The miracles were performed amongst them by divine power in the book of Acts. If you go and read Acts chapter 14, these supernatural works were not the result of the works of the law, but from the hearing that leads to faith. The Galatians did not know the law, and Paul's message was that of justification, not by the law, but by faith. Now, the apostle does a preemptive strike and says, and if you think the Old Testament is on your side, because the Judaizers are Jews, right? So they're thinking, well, we have the Old Testament. They're on our side. The apostle says, no, I have bad news for you. Paul says, even Abraham was justified by faith before being circumcised. So his acceptance by God was on the basis of faith and not on circumcision. Basically, he is saying not on the basis of adding the law of circumcision. And therefore, circumcision and the law of Moses are not needed for justification. <laughs> uh, Apostle Paul is really poking them in the eye. He pokes them in the eye and says, listen to Galatians 3.9. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the circumcised. No, the believer. Abraham, the believer. Abraham is not just the forefather. He was a believer unlike them. He was a believer unlike them. So by that statement, Apostle Paul is saying to be under the law is to be an unbeliever. 
He didn't say you're not a religious person. No, you're still religious. But you're an unbeliever until you come to Christ. Paul now explains why they should not want to be under the law. He tells them the danger of continuing or pretending like they could do the law. And says in Galatians 10, sorry, Galatians 3, verses 10 to 14. I don't have 10 chapters in Galatians. Galatians 3, 10 to 14, listen to this. Apostle Paul now is telling them, this is what you're not understanding about the law. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. This is what he's saying. The law requires 100% obedience. Even for all who go back to it. And if you miss one part, you are guilty of the whole law and are condemned. So the law comes as a unit. You don't pick and choose what you think you can do. Like a lot of people do. Bring the tithes into God's storehouse. And this he quoted from Leviticus. Leviticus 18.5. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. The one who practices the righteousness which is based on the law shall live by that righteousness. What is that saying? It is saying, if you try to live by the law, then you shall seek justification before God only from your own obedience to the law. You can't mix and match and try to make some cheap snack of law and gospel. The same apostle says in Galatians 5.4, if you seek to be justified by the law, listen, you have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. He is saying there are two ways of how you can approach God to be accepted. There are two ways. And it's an either or. So you either stand on Christ, that's grace, or you stand on law. And if you stand on law, you have fallen from grace as a means of acceptance by God. So you are either 100% justified by grace alone or 100% on works alone. Grace and law do not mix when it comes to justification. It is either you drive a gas-only car or an electric-only car. Hybrids don't cut it. You cannot drive a hybrid car. When it comes to justification. And of course, that's just illustration. So if you are in Christ, the law is not for you. Galatians 
Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident. For the righteous man shall live by faith. Paul goes to prophet Habakkuk and says, even your prophets, not just Moses, taught this same doctrine of justification by faith alone. The righteous man shall live by faith. However, verse 12, the law is not of faith. That's the problem. If the righteous man can only live by faith and the law is not of faith, then you're in trouble. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. So you see what I've been saying, that it's either you come before God by faith alone, 100%. Some foolish person will say, or there's no way here where he says alone. It's implied in the statements. If you have any comprehension of basic language, this is what that is saying. You either come to God by faith alone, or you stand on what you do, and the one who practices the law shall live by what they practice and seek justification on that basis. So the law is not of faith. What does that mean again? It means the law is of works. And if it is of works, then it can't please God because we know without faith it's impossible to please God. He who practices the law shall live by it, no mixing, no dilly-dallying. But he says, Apostle Paul, if you care for the true gospel, here is what really happened. Verse 18. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus removed the curse of the law by him being cursed on the tree, on the cursed tree, on the cross. He became a curse. He became a curse. He became a curse for us, not for himself. As our substitute. For what reason was he cursed? Listen to verse 14. For what reason was Jesus cursed? In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So the promise of the Spirit can only be received through faith and not the works of the law. So Jesus was cast on the tree so that the blessing of Abraham would also come on the Gentiles and we are the Gentiles. And without the law being removed, you and I have no chance of ever receiving the Spirit. Jesus is the seed of Abraham. That's the blessing. The seed of Abraham through whom all the nations of the world will be blessed. So the blessed apostle, after having successfully burst their law bubble, says, now are you ready to learn? Are you ready to learn the teaching of the word of God? Let me ask you some questions. Galatians 3.21 Because I know right now you are confused. 
Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? He has some person here who is objecting. The person is saying, well, if that's the case, then, then the law is contrary to everything that God has been telling us. The apostle says, no, 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 no. You are the one who doesn't get it. Let me teach you. May it never be. For if a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on law. <laughs> so the apostle says, no, the law is not contrary to the promises of God because God is not schizophrenic. He knows what he's doing. The law was not intended to give you the blessings of God, but to lead you to them. The apostle teaches here a very fundamental and dogmatic statement of salvation. and says, if salvation could be had by anything that men are able to do by themselves and in themselves, then indeed righteousness would have been based on law or some kind of law. But he says, it's impossible. If it was possible, but that statement is saying it's impossible for salvation to be had another way than faith in Christ. So the very fact that righteousness is not by the law means that it's impossible to earn it or perform it. Listen to verse 22. But the scripture, actually that's a euphemism there for law. But the scripture has set up everyone under sin so that the promise by faith in Christ might be given to those who believe. So the law having told you and revealed to you your inability to perform it has essentially put you in a prison that you can't come out by yourself. The law is for shutting people in prisons. Look at everybody who is in jail. Who put them there? It's the law. It's the law. Grace does not put anyone in prison. It's the law who put them in prison. Grace gets them out. Why? So that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe, not those who do. See the distinction? Those who believe and those who do. What promise? The promise of what the law could not do. The promise of giving you life, righteousness, and acceptance by God. And this promise has come to us through Jesus Christ alone. Because that is the only way life and righteousness can be had. Jesus said the same thing when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. Listen to verse 24, Galatians 3. Getting close. We'll finish some time today. If the Lord tarries. Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. Therefore, is saying what? We are drawing a conclusion. We are making some final statements on what I have discussed. The law has become our tutor 
What are we to understand about the intent of the law? The law cannot give life. We have learned that. The law cannot give you righteousness. The law cannot sanctify. So what are we to understand of the intent of the law? The apostle says, the law has become our tutor, our instructor, who would bring us to Christ. Listen to this. So the law is pictured as having imprisoned us and having done so to serve as our instructor who would teach us that it is impossible to get life by our own obedience. But not only that, to lead us to the only way of salvation, that is faith in Christ. But for you to understand what Apostle Paul is teaching, we have to understand who this tutor is. What is this tutor? I used to be a tutor. I used to be a high school chemistry teacher. And I'm still teaching. I'm teaching right now. Maybe I'm preaching. I'm doing both. The tutor in this day was a servant. Usually a slave who worked for certain rich folk whose job was to teach they would be heirs of the duties of royalty, of higher life, like Prince Charles. So the child who would be heir was under the instruction of this tutor. The Greek word for that tutor was pedagogos, P-A-I-D-A-G-O-G-O-S. Pedagog. That's where you get the English word. So the child was under the instruction of this tutor until they had learned and had been instructed of the way of airship. They were essentially under protective custody of this servant. Two things to note about the work of the tutor. Number one, his relationship with the son who would inherit everything was temporary. Was temporary. Very important. He did not have a permanent relationship and so he was only in use for the length of time until the heir was ready to be clothed with honor. But after the heir was qualified by age and training, the tutor ceased to have a function. They ceased to have a function. His work stopped there and was not needed anymore. So it's like when you were in school. Your kindergarten teacher was not your first grade teacher, was not your fifth grade teacher. The kindergarten teacher only served a function to prepare you to go to first grade. That's exactly the picture that Apostle Paul has. Our teachers prepared us to receive instruction in the next grade level. Okay? But there's another second point why the pedagogues is important. They were not always nice. They were not always nice. The tutor was not part of the family, and so he could rough up the heir 
And that is the picture of the law. That the law is rough. It can only beat you up. But it never says you're doing good. It always reminds you when you fail. Verse 25. And I think that should be our last verse. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under that tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Now that faith has come, now that Jesus has come, now that you are in Christ, now that you have believed in Christ, we are no longer under the tutor. The tutor who is the law. Why are you not under the tutor? Because the law has performed its function of bringing you to Christ. The son did not need a tutor once he had reached his time of inheritance. And we have reached our time of inheritance by faith in Christ Jesus. And because we have reached our time of inheritance, we are now sons of God through faith. We are now sons of God. And we are not sons of God through obedience to the law. And people could be helped, Christians, if they actually understood what God was teaching by this. And praise God that we are now sons of God through faith. That we are now heirs, co-heirs with Christ. And this is what Jesus is saying. This is what Jesus is teaching in John 5, 45 to 47. He is saying to the Jews and all who pretend to observe the law, you do not get it. If you really understood the law and what Moses was saying or is teaching, you would come to him. And if you come to him, you leave the law at the doorstep. The law does not come into the house with you. You do not get in the house and still hold your umbrella with you. The umbrella is for outside to bring you inside. The law is only for reminding you that you are a sinner and you are condemned and that you can't achieve righteousness by yourself. The gospel, the true gospel says, you are now under grace. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. The flesh is weak because of sin and it can't bear the burden of law. But God has achieved by his son what the law could not do for you and I. Jesus condemned sin in the flesh and that he may fulfill the righteous requirement of the law in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. So whatever the believer needs with respect to their walk and acceptance by God is not in the law but in the gospel and provided by the Spirit. That is the gospel. Praise the Lord. Amen.
Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before the throne this morning. Lord, we praise you and we honor you for the law that you gave and what you intended and what you purposed with it. You purposed that our sins will be accounted and imputed to us. That our transgressions would increase, that your grace may abound. And that will be led to Christ. That will be taught. That will be held by the hand of the law that we may see Christ. But now that we are in Christ, the tutor has fulfilled its work. We are no more under the law. And praise Jesus who fulfilled the law. That the righteous requirement of the law may be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Lord, we thank you for your gospel, for this is the only hope of your people. For everything else is failing. Our health is failing. We feel it, Lord, in our bones. But we know that as the outer man is dying, the inner man is gaining strength. And Lord, we pray that you teach your people You bring remembrance of these things to your people. And you give ears to those who shall hear. And Lord, as always, we pray for your people. As they say, you know all their needs. May you hear them for the sake of Christ. May you hear them for the sake of your name and your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.